All right. Welcome back, everybody, from your long summer hiatus. We're glad to have you all. Good turnout today. I always feel terrible. I think we always interrupt everyone's great conversation at the lunch table. So we'll ease into this slowly. I want to remind everyone today we will be using Conference I.O. So if you look up here on the screen, all you need to do is type in cornet.cnf.io into your browser, and it should open you up into the polls. Our moderator today is going to take questions from the audience, uh, as well as lobbying in those softballs that have been pre-designed to our panel. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, my name is Tony Smediato. I'm with Colliers, and we've had a great team this uh, month uh, from programs. Margie Kurkowski from JLL, Jerry Moore, John Bifro, and others have really worked hard to pull these uh, four wonderful, wonderful gentlemen together and, and put on a great panel for you. So we're going to hear a lot about the tales from the trenches today. And make sure you type in that cornet, CNFIO. And if you see someone having trouble, lean over to your neighbor and help them get on board. Any questions about IO? OK. Um, just quickly, as you know, we don't like to be too political or, or, uh, or social in our graces here. But as you all know, 13 years ago, uh, some tragic crimes were committed in the city of New York on September 11, 2001. So, a lot of men and women lost their lives that day and since in fighting the war on terror. So in, in your own way, I hope all of you would just take five seconds uh, to reflect on, on that day. Thank you very much. So, Tales from the Trenches, let's get started. Uh, we've got a great moderator uh, who's been fighting with us thick and thin all summer and a lot of projects, a great new active participant in our chapter. So I'd like to call up Rob Weatherall, AIA, who's the North American Facilities uh, Manager for Oracle. Um, Rob's been on board at Oracle since, what, April, and oversees their North American platform for facilities. Prior to this, he worked as a VP of Development at Conan Properties. But most of you, you may have know him from his uh, outstanding work he did as a CERE directors at Calamos and both at Zurich Scudder, where he implemented two big headquarter deals, you know, maybe in total two, three hundred million dollars worth of headquarters deals. So this guy knows what he's doing. He's a lot of fun to work with. I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last few months. So I'm going to hand this over to Rob. He's going to introduce our panel, and we're going to get going on Tales from the Trenches. Are you good on Okay. Hopefully you can, you can hear me okay. Good. That sounds How about good. a hand for our moderator, yeah. Rob, Rob Weatherall. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I am. Okay, good. So I'm a rookie at this, so give me, give me a, a break, will you? But anyways, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, shout out to my Oracle colleagues over, over in the corner there. Uh, we, um, we have an interesting panel today. Uh, as a new member of the program committee, we've talked about what the audience wants to see. And I think one of the things that really rose to the surface is they want to hear from their, their peers. They want to hear what's going on in other companies, how they're what kind of challenges they have and how are they dealing with those. So that's the, uh, that's the program we put together today. We have a, a very good panel of experienced people with a broad range of responsibility uh, to uh, take some questions. And uh, if I don't forget to, to keep checking, I'll be looking for your I.O. questions as well. So with that, I'd like to call up uh, Rob Peterson. Rob is with uh, AbV, which... Uh, <coughs> Thank you. At V, which I learned last week, they call themselves the uh, oldest startup in, in the country. 
a country that's been around for, what, 125 years, and they, they're a startup as of uh, the beginning of this year. So Rob is the uh, Director of Real Estate for AbV. Uh, he has a global responsibility for transactions and leasing. Uh, you can read his bio in detail. I won't go through that all in uh, cont content now. But uh, pr prior to AbV, uh, Rob was with Abbott Laboratories and General Motors. He also holds a, uh, an MBA in real estate from the University of Michigan uh, School of Business, and he's an MCR. So thanks for joining us, Rob. And maybe you could just tell us uh, just a little bit about what, uh, what you're doing at AbV. Okay. As, uh, as you, thank you, Rob. Uh, as you mentioned, I have uh, responsibility globally for transactions as well as lease administration. We have a, a sister group that handles our facilities from strategy, facilities planning, construction build-out, and facilities management. Um, we, uh, I think if you see our, our portfolio up here, about 235 leases. Um, most of our activity is, is um, overseas right now. A lot of the work is international. Uh, as you know, you probably read in January of 2013, we split from Abbott. So Abbott basically cut itself in half. We represent the patent and pharmaceutical group from Abbott, and we're now our, our own company, AbbVie. Um, so one of the things they did when that, in that split was they said, you know, well, we've got a license, we've got to be able to sell pharmaceuticals in, in countries all over the world, and you know, multi-billions of dollars and lots of operations. And they said, oh, by the way, the real estate will kind of figure itself out. So right now, a year and a half later, we're in the middle of splitting about 200 sites uh, where we shared, once shared or currently share with Abbott and separating those. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So that's kind of what I'm up to right now. Thank you. Thank you. I'd now like to ask uh, Andy Tillman to join us. Andy is the uh, head of corporate real estate distribution and planning for the United States for BMO Harris. Uh, he has a broad range of responsibilities, but, but to kind of boil it down, he's responsible for 620 retail branches and 5 million square feet of uh, office space. Uh, Andy, uh, thanks for joining us. Could, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing these days. Nice, nice. It's always nice when a banker gets a you know you know applause in this economy. So uh, the Bank of Montreal or uh, BMO uh, Harris Bank here in Chicago, uh, BMO bought Harris Bank back in the '80s and uh, really left the branding with Harris Bank and uh, with several other acquisitions than the main acquisition of uh, M&I Bank out of Milwaukee, uh, BMO then rebranded uh, Harris Bank into BMO Harris Bank. So probably, you know, for some folks, it looks like a new bank. The bank's been around for 200 years, one of the largest banks in North America uh, with a global presence. And uh, my team of professionals uh, work on the portfolio, design, construction, uh, lease administration, really kind of soup to nuts uh, on our corporate office buildings, and as well as do the strategy and planning for our retail branches, of which we have about 620 today, and uh, we'll see what the future holds for growth and expansion. Okay, great. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Andy, sorry about that. Uh, okay, to, Bill. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to do that at some point today. Uh, to round out our panel, I'll ask Steve Monaco to join us, please.
Steve is the um, head of uh, real estate for uh, Motorola Mobility, responsible for strategic, strategic strategy, facilities management, and construction projects. Uh, he manages a portfolio of 3.5 million square feet in the Americas, and most recently uh, built out the 607,000 square foot uh, facility in the Merchandise Mart, which I had a chance to tour earlier this year. It's truly amazing. So, Steve, maybe you can tell us a little bit more. Sure. Um, joined Motorola about uh, about three and a half years ago for the, running the Americas, and um, from that time till now, we've been purchased by Google and went through some restructuring, and then, as you may know, um, announced that we we're also being transitioned to Lenovo, sold to Lenovo. So over the last three and a half years, um, a lot of downsizing of our portfolio and selling off different business units. Um, and then um, after the move to the Mart, one of the, the last puzzle pieces of our new strategy, um, I've been asked to um, um, take, take all the uh, strategy and learnings from the Americas portfolio and, and start to get ready for the transition to Lenovo uh, globally. So that's what takes up my time. Thank you very much. Well, Steve, I'm going to come right back to you then to get it started. Now, I have some prepared questions just to keep things moving, but I'll also be watching for your conference I.O. questions. Please let us know if there's uh, anything we can address up here. But Steve, uh, what exactly right now at this moment in time is keeping you up at night? So I'm going to answer this literally. I'm going to say Beijing, Singapore, and Korea. Um, <laughs> So a new part of our portfolio for me is under management that, you know, here, here in the Americas, you can handle a lot of things back and forth through emails, and you can pretty much by the end of the day accomplish a few things, um, not so much so um, managing the, uh, what we call the APAC portfolio. You send off an email, the next morning you read the question, did I, did I answer the, uh, they ask another question and you send back another answer, and so lately, it's, it's nightly phone calls just to making sure we can consolidate those conversations and continue to execute. So, okay, Great, thanks. Andy, how are you sleeping these days? Soundly, obviously. Uh, no, we're, we're in the process of moving out of a 250,000 square foot building uh, here in downtown. And um, it, it's kind of a personal part of the story. So we've moved everyone out to great new space downtown and uh, some out in the suburbs. And the last group that's in the building is corporate real estate, of course. And uh, we're looking to move to another building. And uh, literally, it's, it's moment to moment to get into the new building. And we've got to decommission this building within the next 30 days. So uh, lots of movement and change. Rob, anything to? Uh, you know, maybe a couple things. I, I mentioned this split. We're having some fun with this. Uh, you know, we've, we've done deals everywhere from you know, Abbott had three floors, and we had two floors in Tokyo. Uh, easy deal. We decided to go in and negotiate together for the renewal of five floors, and then at the last minute tell the landlord we were going to split. We wanted two separate leases. Got a better deal that way. Um, I think we're five months past the end of the lease now, and we don't have it signed. Um, but our, our, you know, our Japanese our people are, are, seem to be fine with it. We haven't been kicked out on the street yet to, you know, another thing they put in place was you can't hurt the other company. So if, if one company took the lead on the lease or they took the lease, we would be the minority player. 
we can't leave early, we can't hurt them unless they decide to let us go early uh, and vice versa. So it's, uh, it's kind of been, uh, been a good arrangement, but uh, it doesn't make well for sleep, Rob. Uh, yeah, very good. Well, I'll take my turn. At Oracle, uh, we are in the process of, I, I should mention I've been at Oracle for less than six months and we've done four acquisitions. Uh, we've added uh, roughly 800,000 square feet and maybe 60 additional offices to our North American portfolio. So just working through that and trying to figure out how we're going to uh, make the transition of all that is, is giving me some restless evenings as well. Uh, Andy, back to you. Uh, maybe you change the pace and I'll give you a chance to shine a little bit. What's one of your biggest successes over the past year or so? So... Uh at BMO Harris, we, uh, as I said, acquired uh, M&I Bank, and uh, through this acquisition, doubled our footprint in the U.S. And uh, the teams worked very hard at uh, really right-sizing our portfolio, taking advantage of the economies of scale. Uh, you see on the slide that our portfolio is about 5 million square feet. It was 6 million square feet literally two years ago. So we've taken a million square feet out of the portfolio, kept our downtown presence, densified our existing buildings, looked at a, uh, uh, M&I was a decentralized format, so office buildings kind of all over the place, and uh, able to create a centralized uh, hub system. And through that, we've, we've produced about $55 million worth of run rate savings on an annual basis by, by right-sizing our portfolio. So really gives us a great footprint works for our disaster recovery system, and uh, you know we're now saving the bank 50 million that they can spend on technology or other bonuses for employees. Great, great, great. We'll see, Rob. Um, I guess at the when we separated as a company a year and a half ago, I was part of a team of seven that did the lease administration and, and transactions globally, and I took. The good thing was I got an opportunity to lead the new company's uh, organization. The, the bad news was you're, you're on your own. You're it. So over the last year and a half, I've built a team, uh, brought people in, both uh, hired and contracting uh, folks. Um, we've tried to standardize the process, put, uh, put a number of things in place to efficiently deliver value to our business units. Um, and, uh, and keep our heads above water, so. Very good, thanks, thanks. Uh, Steve, now before I ask you the same question, I, I must say that there's people in the audience that are dying to know what your favorite color is. <laughs> uh, blue. Okay, my, my daughter's favorite color is pink, so I go. wore pink for We're giving daughter. you the information you want, so there we go. <laughs> wow. Very good. That's an okay. easy one. Okay, so, so what, what do you want to brag on today, Steve? I'm sorry, one more? What would you like to brag about today? Oh, brag about. Um, I'd say uh, surviving the move to the Merchandise Mart was a uh, once-in-a-lifetime career, best opportunity that may not be repeated soon. Um, you know, we, we had the initiative to take, uh, when we... When we right-sized our portfolio, we went from 19,000 employees down to about 4,500, half of which were at the Mart. So when, you, you know, when we looked at the data, about 65% of the employees drove to work door-to-door -door in 20 minutes. And then that same 65% had to travel to the city um, through, um, through the commuter um, obstacles for about an hour and 40 minutes one way. 
And so they said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna make this change. There'll be no desk phones, no cafeteria, no in-house um, health club or daycare. All the VPs and directors will double up in an office and no more cue balls. Uh, don't break it. And so that was our, that was our initiative to, to move everyone here and um, you know, we track attrition and we're lower than the industry standard and you no, know, surprisingly everyone has, has uh, figured out how to work in the open workstation and being productive. Maybe we can get a future program at uh, Motorola. We'll, we'll have to talk about that. Rob, I'm going to come back to you and, and this is a question I'd love to ask. In fact, I use this when I interview candidates for, for positions. Was there a time when you had to ask for forgiveness versus permission? Hmm. Well, uh, here's a story. We, um, we were looking for some more space, and there's some people in this room that'll, that'll know this story from the inside. But we were looking for maybe 100,000 square feet in Lake County office, 50 to 100. And we, we heard about this phenomenal building that, that was available, but they wanted to lease the whole thing, and it's the former HSBC or Capital One building at Route 60 and 94. And you know, I kind of talked to some of my colleagues in facility planning and strategy, and they said, well, you'll, you'll never get, that'll never happen. Because if you, if you know our footprint, we have Abbott Park, and we have a big facility in North Chicago, and then we have a whole bunch of lease buildings in Waukegan. This is beautiful Waukegan. And that, you know, coming down the tollway that far was, you know, that, that's towards Chicago. We, I, I don't think we want to go that way. So everybody just said, you know, there's no way that'll happen. It just, the, the deal just won't happen. So I pushed it some more, um, pushed it a little bit, and, and I ended up creating a presentation that I floated around, and, and people were just having heart attacks. And it was, I had taken a picture of the building in Photoshop, AbbVie over it, and I, and I created the presentation. It was AbbVie World Headquarters, and four or five slides. So I sent that around and, and just got an absolutely icy response. So I sent it to my boss, and he says, you know, the treasurer, he says, there's no way I'm taking this up. It's not going to happen. We, we just wouldn't do that ever. So I, I hung up the phone, and, and I called him back, and I said, you know, I said, what are we going to do if our senior leadership comes back to us and says, hey, I heard Merck just got this great new building. I wish we would have known about it. And he says, you know, you're right. So we sent that up. So a year later, here we are. We actually subleased the entire building, 550,000 square feet. So um, it worked out great, but uh, definitely was, uh, could, have, could have been the end of my career there. <laughs> wow. So. Well, we're glad you're still with us. Yeah. Okay. Andy, anything to add? Uh, you know, no, I think, you know, from the bank's perspective, uh, anyone who's worked for a bank realizes it's an incredibly regulated environment. So uh, very hard to get outside of the envelope, uh, you know, in a bank and many, many, many layers of, of, uh, uh, of permission. So I wouldn't say within the bank I've done that. I'd say a little bit opposite. Um, being a company owned by Google, I think they take pride in begging for forgiveness, or I don't even know if they ask for forgiveness, but um, <laughs> when we moved into the Mart, um, we want to have an open house for friends and family, and the whole move and the change management, it's not only the employees, it is the entire family when you make that kind of change, so we wanted to throw a party, we re rented out the South Drive, 
and um, we plan for jumpy houses and face painters and you know a really well event. And but the RSVP started to come in at very low numbers, and the event was already paid for, so we needed a, a grabber to get people. So I decided that we should uh, raffle off a free car, and. With the calculation in my mind that you sell enough raffle tickets, it would buy the car. Until I got the email from the legal department with some mumbo jumbo that that's illegal. So <laughs> the real estate department bought a car, and uh, this, uh, the president pulled the name out of the hat uh, at the party. And uh, I did not have to beg because it was, it was really, we doubled our, um, our, our RSVP, and it was really about celebrating with the families. So. But it was pretty close. <laughs> Very good. Great, great. Um, Steve, I'm going to go right back to you. And uh, this reminds me a little bit of my golf game, but uh, it's, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. Is there, is there anything that's working better than you expected? I'd say the, uh, moving into the open work environment, you know, we came from 10 by 10, 64 inch high cubes. Um, a lot of engineers had all their, they had mini labs at their desks. And um, we had town halls and we had white papers and we did everything you, you can, uh, did not stop the hate mail. But uh, when, when we moved in, um, it's, I'm waiting. I'm, still, I'm waiting for something bad to happen because everyone has you know, right, settled in and they're making it work. So, Andy, how about you? Yeah, I think you know, to pick up on that is it, really the same story of, uh, you know, we had a group, uh, actually two groups that were going to move into the open work environment. And, you know, anyone who's been to the back, back of house of a bank, you know, um, you know, we try to strive for the non-customer facing space to be less than 140 square foot per head. And this new space we're going to put them in was about 110. And uh, they're currently in about 230 square foot per head. So similar large cubes, high walls, offices, you know, the whole nine yards. And um, we had all the town halls, all the white papers, all the fun. And, uh, you know, we, we had one individual from the line of business literally wrote a 160-page, what we dubbed the manifesto, about why the open environment would not work. He had everything about why it wouldn't work from sound, even had attachments to studies from Columbia University that said that you know the sound would you know disrupt productivity, um, all these great things, and um, you know at the end of the day they moved in uh, about two weeks ago, and I got an email from the you know from the head of the line of business saying they couldn't love it anymore, uh, you know you know it's really turned out great. They're the about the fourth group that we've moved into the open environment, uh, you know all new furniture, mobile space, really, you know, giving folks, you know, the opportunity for flexible work environments, which in a bank is novel, you know, for you, that's, you know, like, this is dressed for Steve, he told yeah. me, this is, Everyone you thought know. I was going to an interview today, like, why are you yeah. so dressed up? Yeah, this is casual Thursday for me. So, you know, you know it really is. It should be a dark blue suit, come on. Uh, I work for a bank. So, um, but you know, Canadian, so I get, you know, four weeks, you know, and all banking holidays. Uh, but really, you know, the open environment, I think, has really been something that's worked much better where, you know, we went in, told people it would work, had a ton of naysayers. Think about somebody writing you a 160-page memo about why it won't work. So, so what happened to that manifesto guy? 
Oh, we have the manifesto hung in our in our uh, uh, in our conference room, and he, you know, he was with the bank for 45 years. Still is with the bank for 45 years, and uh, you know, still sort of, uh, you know, the fascinating thing was, you know, even after he got over the open environment, he wanted the old style, you know, the coffee pots where the pot would just sit there and burn all day, yeah. you know, versus the single serve. He he's still still trying to adopt. Rob, any pleasant surprises? Um, you know, I would say yes. I, I inherited a, a broker relationship pattern that uh, I'm still trying to figure out what it was. But um, we, we had this guy, Dan, in Dallas. And Dan did lots of our deals. And I'm sure he was very phenomenal in Dallas. And, but, he, <laughs> but he was usable on the East Coast and in Lake County, Illinois, and, and everywhere. And, Anyway, what, what we did was we went uh, from a, from a broker-led transaction model out of New York City, which didn't seem to work as well as we like, to a Chicago-based account-focused uh, model. And it's worked out really well for us. I, I, you know, it was really a lot of consternation about making that switch and cutting the loyalties to New York and and saying, you know, we, we, need to, we need to upgrade this. We need to upgrade the, the value that, that we deliver to our team, our executive team. And uh, that was one of those things that just really worked out well, and, and I'm glad we did it and wouldn't look back. Great. I'd like to share something as well. Is Billy C. in the audience today? Billy Canopiotis? I know he's here sometimes. Anyway, when I worked on the Calamos project and Billy worked with us, uh, one of the challenges we had is John Calamos was so ingrained in the trading function that he wasn't doing his running the company function. So when we designed the building, we made the, the fifth floor, the second from the top floor, the trading floor. And then we did a mezzanine floor on the sixth, and we put John up there. So John was off in his area doing his thing, but he could kind of keep that connection with the trading function. And what started to happen is the traders would meet every morning very informally. They'd sit on their desks and have a cup of coffee, and they'd spend 10 minutes just talking about overnight markets or world events or things that might affect their trading patterns that day. And people started showing up on that mezzanine above just to sort of listen to this conversation. And it got to, to they call it the 10-minute meeting or something of that sort. But everyone would rally around the trading desk at about 10 minutes before 8 o'clock, and then it even became interactive, where people were allowed to ask questions, what's going on. And then it went another step further, where it started to becoming a, a mini presentation. So each line manager, I think it was every Monday, would take their turn, and they'd have five minutes to talk about what was going on in their world. So this was a surprise where the, the architecture itself kind of changed the way the company was operating. Uh, a pleasant surprise. You know, I'm looking at the questions here, and there's a couple I'd like to pull off of the I.O. Uh, one question, I'm just going to read it verbatim, and this is to all the panelists. Knowing the corporate real estate landscape varies between established and emerging markets, aging assets versus new buildings, what are some challenges facing entities choosing to relocate or expand within either market? So what are the challenges in, in this changing, emerging market landscape we have. And Rob, I know you have, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, because I know you have global responsibilities for uh, leasing and transactions. What have, what's your experience been? You know, one of the things has been, you know, with these new, new type buildings is um, 
Sao Paulo, Brazil, we just opened a big office, uh, a couple hundred people last year. And, you know, we were going back and forth between two buildings, and, and one wasn't out of the ground yet, and, and one was, and, they, you know, guarantees and assurance that we'd be ready in time and everything would be great. Um, we went with the for sure deal and glad we did because the other one didn't happen. And um, it's kind of one of those one of those things of uh, construction timelines may be a little different in uh, some of these markets. Andy, I know you have a wide portfolio. Any Oh, yeah, comments? I go from Chicago to Arizona. Uh, no, it, you know, I think, you know, for me, for, uh, you know, when I'm looking at markets uh, and, you know, the older buildings, very difficult with columns, uh, very difficult with floor plates. As we're going to the open design, we're looking for, you know, 25, 30, 35,000 square foot floor plates. Uh, very difficult to find that in the older buildings. You know, you go and you say, yeah, well, you know, like, what a beautiful facade. It's a great address. It's, you know, you know, an iconic building. But, you know, like, extremely difficult. You know, when I was looking to relocate. Uh, we have about 150,000 square feet in Times Square in New York. And I toured through a bunch of different buildings in New York. And, you know, to find that open floor plate opportunity to, you know, really be able to maximize the space, when in New York you're talking about you know, like $150 a foot and up, uh, really, really difficult to do to, you know, to create that space. You know, like you want to get, you know, I'm sure you know, my colleagues would probably have a little bit more innovative space than a bank would uh, do. Uh, you know, very difficult for us to retrofit into uh, older space at this point. Steve? I would say we, we try to determine the personality of the deal, which means we have some sites that are highly um, full of engineering, others are sales, supply chain, and we really dig in with um, the function in the business unit of, of each of those sites. So sometimes it's where the employees live is, is a driver versus um, uh, the location with other business partners. The temptation when you get a, um, a very passionate local VP or, or local lead is to be uh, to re remove yourself and, and start to drift away from the real estate fundamentals uh, because because those people may not be there in six months or a year. And you're stuck with a space and then you get asked, well, how did we end up here? So I think as long as you focus on the business and the locale with the partners, then that usually is, is where we end up. Great. And I'll add, I'll, I'll take a slight twist on the question and talk about uh, working in foreign markets. Uh, and when I was with Zurich Investments, we decided to do a major swing through the Far East offices in Tokyo and Singapore and Seoul, Korea and Hong Kong and other locations. And it was a, it was a balancing act dealing with different cultures, time zones, languages, currencies and business practices. They were all different and unique. Um, you know, taking a, a budget uh, drawn up in Singapore Sing and translating it into U.S. dollars and translating it again into the pound sterling because... You know, I reported to somebody in London. I mean, likewise with uh, just, just about every aspect of the project. Um, and I can't underscore the importance of that cultural understanding of working in those markets plates, places. When I did an office in Hong Kong, I, I was told on day one that we would have a feng shui consultant. And I thought to myself, what is this? <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. We put together a list of buildings to consider for this office on the island 
And uh, my broker met me in the morning. We had our green tea, and she said, I have uh, 12 offices for us to look at. And I said, 12 offices? How can we possibly drag these people through 12 offices? She said, trust me. So we walked around, and half of them were eliminated because they had feng shui from the outside. We didn't even go in. And then as we did the build out, the design and build out, I, I just came to realize that, you know what, if your end user be believes in feng shui, then it's important, and you need to believe in feng shui. You need a feng shui manifesto. <laughs> a yeah, feng really. shui <laughs> manifesto. I can send that guy your way. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, Steve, somebody would like to know, now you've had this huge success with this, uh, this big, big project, lots of notoriety, but uh, you can tell us, really, what would you have done differently? Hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it was a fast-paced project and well-planned, but fast-paced. When we moved in, I would have done differently, um, more signage. I think we took the approach to make sure, you know, we created this beautiful space and there should be enough signage because we've lived in that space long enough and um, we had a lot of lost people that first week. Um, so paper signage went up everywhere, but I would do that differently. Um, actually, it resulted in um, the engineers. Uh, there's enough cry for help that because uh, it's it's a 200,000 square foot floor plate. So, um, got together with an engineer and a guy from IT, and they created a, a Moto app on our phone where you could type in someone's name or a conference room. So now we have our wayfinding on our phone. Logically, we're a phone company. Um, so the difficult part is the databases. I own the database. And so we're trying to, we created a workplace where people are allowed to move themselves with manager's approval. So um, trying to find out where everyone's at is our new challenge, which we're, we're hoping to, to solve and tell you more about that later. Tony, how are we doing on time? Oh, good, we're, do, we're doing very well. Because there's a couple of questions I want to make sure we don't miss. And one of them actually came in from the audience as well. Uh, and I'll start with Andy. What, what would innovation look like in corporate real estate in the next 10 years? What do we see coming down the line that's going to change the way we work? I was really hoping for the favorite color question. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. I think that uh, uh, you know, the next 10 years is really going to be this new balance, right? The balancing of the workforce. We're seeing the, you know, the aging workforce and the habits uh, and how they are uh, adopting to the new workplace of the future. And I think that you know, the, you know, the younger generation that's coming in uh, is really telling us a lot about how space should be designed and really how, uh, how they want to work and I think to Steve's point, where they want to work. Uh, you know, the new, you know, the new employee is saying, I can work from home just as well as I can work from here. And so how do we create those flexible environments that continue to address the needs um, of the organization? From a, from a bank perspective, it becomes very difficult because you know, security and, and the, you know, the safety uh, and the integrity of the data, obviously, you know, is important to you know, everybody. But for a bank, it's obviously paramount. And uh, you know, as we continue to look out you know, over 10 years, how do we put systems in place that's going to allow that flexibility for our employees, um, but yet keep the integrity of the data? I mean, you know, everyone's 
out, uh, you know, their IT people, you talk to the IT security people, they would talk about, you know, the millions of hits that are hitting their website every day trying to hack into systems. And I think as we continue to, to um, adopt and have this mobile workforce, you know, how do we keep that in place? And for real estate, you know, how do we, you know, how do we um, address this younger generation? You know, the, you know, right now, you know, they want to be downtown. And, you know, in 20 years, are they going to be suburbanites like the, you know, like the generation before was? And like, how do we, you know, kind of keep up with that? And I think also, um, you know, as an industry, how do we attract young talent? You know, is, uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, corporate real estate isn't the sexiest thing out there, right? And, uh, you know, how do we get folks into this industry? And how do we keep them interested? And, you know, what's that, you know, what's that hook? I think it's important that we as an industry look at that as well, uh, because, Someone's got to take our job in, you know, in 10 years. So uh, something to think about. Steve, any thoughts? Well, being part of Google, um, they like to make their own in-house products. And we've benefited really from um, taking on and using all of the Google applications. So they have something called the GVC Google Video Conference. We used to use, let's say, Polycom for video conferencing. We had 19 rooms in our portfolio. The, Top 1% use them. So now we, we use GVC. Um, it's, on every, um, it's on every computer. It's on your phone. At the Mart, I think over half of our conference rooms have the double, screen, double screens. And so it, it, it really changes the efficiency and the conversations. We can see people all over the world um, at, at a drop of a hat. We don't, again, we don't have desk phones, so this is our, our main way of communicating. But a global company is really a 24-hour company. So if we're working on strategy, I can send um, uh, the need for, say, space planning overseas. By, so by the time it comes in the morning, it's, it's already done. So a global company never really stops. And so I think the at least one component is the video conferencing being, being standard, where everyone uses that, and no more WebExes that freeze and stuff like that. <clears throat> Rob, anything to add? I think, you know, we're going to deal, I know, with a location analysis. I'm kind of working on that now from the standpoint of we've always been a northern Illinois-type company, and are we going to be able to keep that up where I think the average person's been there 20 or 30 years? We're starting to look around. Is that where we should be and where should we be? So. Another question from the audience, and this is a good one, um, and I like the way it's phrased. Uh, to what extent is corporate real estate a strategic C-suite partner versus a, an expense to be managed, a job, you know, cost center? Uh, is that evolving? You know, are we strategic or are we tactical? Anybody want to start with that one? Yeah, I'll take that. Um, I think, first of all, try moving your CEO's office and see how strategic you really are. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, in my role, <laughs> I did it, believe me. Um, you know, in my role, I do the office as uh, well as retail. And uh, for corporate real estate at BMO, uh, we are very much a strategic partner about where should the next branch be? How should it be designed? And uh, exactly how large should it be? You know, when you think about, uh, you know, the banking industry specifically, if you look at my 81-year-old mother, she does three things to, you know, keep her, you know, you know, keep her day filled. 
She goes to the doctor. She goes to church. And probably once or twice a week, she goes to the bank. Not because she needs to take out money or anything. She needs to talk to somebody, right? And, um, you know, it's an important part for, for my mother to have a bank branch. Now you juxtapose that against my 20-year-old daughter. She was in a bank branch once when she went off to college. I said, Lauren, you got to open a bank account. She said, why? I said, well, you know, you're going to need money and cash. And she goes, I have your credit card. What else do I need? <laughs> and it, I said, yes, you do, and you use it well. But, you know, you still need that. And so, you know, my daughter hasn't stepped into a bank branch since. You know, if, you know, if her grandmother sends her a check, she takes a picture of it and moves on. You know, how many people in here do mobile banking, right? And so what's that bank of the future? So from a real estate perspective, we are absolute business partners with the retail channels folks, uh, you know, to determine where should we put branches? What should they look like? How do you all as customers want to use our facilities? And it's changing. It's changing a lot. You know, like our average branch size here in the U.S. is about 9,000 square feet. And uh, probably, you know, down the road in the future, it'll be about 2,500 square feet. So a lot of change in the banking industry coming up. Rob, are you strategic or tactical? Have you earned a seat at the table, as they uh, like to say? I am tactical. <clears throat> and um, we're uh, working to, as I call it, uh, up the game. We're trying to increase the value delivered, um, making some, some inroads, uh, working on a, sh a strategy for 8,000 people right now. Uh, actually, we're looking 10 to 20 years out, uh, as well as um, there was a business plan that was put through, and the CEO said, stop. I, I want to know what Rob thinks. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Before it would it's have just start. been, ah, they're just real estate people. Yeah, right, what right. do they know? Right. Very good. I'd like to move on to a question that, that I had prepared, but it's also coming in from the audience, so I must have guessed right. Uh, and this is to the entire panel. Um, what would you wish someone had told you earlier in your real estate career? What piece of advice would you give the next generation of corporate real estate leaders? Anybody want to start? Go into a different line of business? <laughs> was, that, was that too obvious? Share, share some nuggets with us. Steve, give us a nugget. I'd say that make sure you do, I mean, it's going to maybe sound a little corny, but make sure you do what you love. And maybe what you what drives you, what gives you passion changes you know, throughout your career. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some great people and great companies in different aspects of real estate, um, licensed architect, GC, you know, managing a Heinz building. Um, so don't be afraid to change. And then um, stay curious, right? Just don't find yourself going through the motions. Um, keep on digging and, and you know, try to, try to wow yourself once in a while. I would say um, reach out into new things. Get, get a broad broad experience, deep, you know, broad as opposed to deep, and, and go after international. I think, I think in the future that's going to become very important to at least be aware of it and be involved and do some projects overseas. Okay. Great. Steve, what would you do uh, differently if given the chance? Nothing. Yep. Christ. Great answer. I believe everything happens for a reason, and so far so good, so. Okay. Andy, any... Uh, 
No, I agree. Any do-overs? Think... <laughs> um, my wife's not in the audience. No. Um, the the um, joke, joke, humor, humor. Uh, you know. Um, no, I no, I think that you know, you know, as Steve said, um, everything happens for a reason. I've worked in you know a lot of different sort of uh, asset classes in 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 commercial real estate, and uh, I think you know each one has been a you know has been a building block, has been a different experience. So. Um, you know, like I probably wouldn't change it, and I think that um, you know it does all happen for a reason. And you know, when you step back and look at it, and you say, you know, if I didn't cross that street, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, very good. Yeah, I, and I would just add, uh, just don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to take on something new. Uh, expand yourself as much as you can. Um, Andy, what are the two most important skills, uh, in your opinion, to running a uh, successful corporate real estate function? Is it politically incorrect to talk about alcohol at this point? <laughs> so um, I think that um, I think it's really kind of three things, right? Um, I think you have to be flexible. It's it's uh, you know it's ever changing. Like no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing office, you're doing retail, um, it's changing all the time. Uh, second, uh, I think you got to have thick skin. It's, uh, you know, you know, it could be a tough business, especially in the corporate real estate side. Uh, you know, when you're, you know, whether you're convincing the guy that wrote the 160 page manifesto, uh, or the, or the market manager saying the branch should be on the other side of town versus where it is today. Uh, you know, you got to have thick skin and I think you got to be tenacious. Um, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's very easy for uh, everyone to have an opinion. Um, uh, but if you really know what you're doing and you're right, you got to stick to it to really prove it out. And I think that, uh, you know, those are really kind of some key, key pieces. And obviously, you know, Steve's point, you got to love what you're doing. You know, like if you don't love what you're doing, you need to go do something else. Rob, any words of wisdom? No, I would add to that. It was, it was a great, uh, advice. Um, one would be people skills, you know, we're, our results are, our ability to del deliver results are based on how well you work with a team and, and how well you communicate with people and, and, and work as a team. And I think that's, the people skills are pretty important. Um, how are we doing on time, Tony? Should I continue? Yeah. Good, very good. Let's uh, switch uh, topics a little bit and uh, talk about sustainability, energy reduction efforts. Uh, Steve, I'll start with you. Maybe in the course of your uh, recent project, you focused on this? Absolutely. Um, I think some, some cities, it's, it's a requirement, um, the way you approach the, the design and, and the build-out. Um, here, here in our facility, we're going for, for LEED Platinum. And um, we have some facilities in California, which are, which are gold. So, so part of the business is this is just what we do now. I know 15 years ago, everyone had a, had a lead certificate, you know, brokers, everybody, and they just wanted that tagline, I think, at the end. But now it's really, it's really sinking in. Um, Comet and NICOR, for example, have an have a, um, incentive program that we use here that um, depending how you approach the design, um, there is a, um, you know, there's savings realized, and, and we received, um, I think, the largest check in their program history about $300,000 um, from ComEd uh, as, uh, as proof. 
of joining their, their program and their partnership of designing differently. So it's not just a thing you put on the end of your name anymore. Yeah, for BMO, um, we're one of the few uh, North American banks that's uh, truly certified carbon neutral. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a passion for the bank uh, corporate sustainability committee. Uh, and, you know, for a bank, it's difficult, right? Paper intensive business. And, um, you, know, we, you know, we strive to, you know, the facility we built in Naperville, we used a, a ton of recycled uh, uh, products. John and Glenn are out there somewhere. They built it uh, with, you know, really with, you know, energy in mind. You know, we're taking our facilities, our disaster recover facilities, uh, one in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and cut the utility use in half. Uh, you know, it was it was really sort of you know low hanging fruit, but you know something that we went after quickly, and you know how to have a live disaster recovery site, but yet have it energy efficient, uh, and 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 all of our new facilities, um, you know, it's a guiding principle for us. Great, great. Anything to add, Rob? No. Very good. Um, where to start? Maybe, uh, Steve, I know you've already spoken about this quite a bit. I'm sure you did a lot of a study, but uh, in incorporating your new workplace standard, uh, now that you've lived in it for, what, six months? Uh, wh what's working, what isn't? And uh, more specifically, how much of your workforce is mobile? And uh, how do you address uh, the mobile workforce? So we are not a mobile workforce. We are, um, you know, get your butt in the office, that the great ideas come when you're bouncing it off of, of anybody, and whether it's at the, the micro kitchen or, or in the elevator. So we don't, um, so we, yeah, we don't, have, we don't have that component yet, um, but I'm interested in it because, um, you know, as we learn more and more about Lenovo, they have a very mobile workforce. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to play out when the two companies you know, uh, come together and how do we balance everything that we've believed in in our mission statements and the underlining statements with, with something new. Is it to say that your new parent is wrong? And so how do you, fi you know, find that flexibility? So um, that's going to be something we are going to be reading a lot of manifestos about. You know? <laughs> so. Having a senior space, um, the vast majority of people are in the open platform area, and if I recall, they have a workstation about that wide, and they get a, a pad and a chair. And they're allowed to have not only free address, they're allowed to have free location, put it wherever you want. And how, how is that working six months into it? So every desk is a sit-stand, um, electric desk, and even in the offices, there's, like I said, there's two people to an office. The... Um, what our approach was really the reallocation of your square footage. In Libertyville, I'd say everyone had a master bedroom and uh, no kitchen, no living room. You know, it was all about my space. So here, we almost doubled the size of uh, the number of conference rooms we had. Like I said, we put video conference all in all of them. And um, when you think about how you work, there are certain certain set of engineers that that are in the lab all day or um, other groups that 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 need to work where they sit, but um, for the most part, we gave, uh, we gave our population options, right? So there's different ways you work during different times of the day, and then again, as your 
as you learn about the space, you're gonna slowly go out and discover new ways. So I think we have enough variety that um, people are, are pleasantly surprised that they can be productive. You know, we've, we've um, had training about productivity skills and some of the social cues. You know, when you put on your headphones, that means leave me alone. When, when, you, when you come the next day and your neighbor has completely turned their desk away from you, that means he doesn't care for you anymore. Uh, just small social skills like that is really been helpful. Very good. Rob, I know your, your focus on the leasing and trans transaction size, but has the changing workforce affected you and perhaps the type of space you take or the amount of square feet per person? Are there? You know, we're, may not seem exciting to a lot of you that are in this, you know, in this side of the facilities, but uh, in our new, new building there, uh, Route 60, we're, um, we originally we were going to go in and, and make it just like we've always done it for the last 50 years or so, and we we're going to rip out all that new open plan and build offices. And, and they, they basically did a pilot, which was kind of neat, where they took 300 people and put them in there and said, you know, just start using it and see how it goes. And, and we had one of our senior VPs say, you know, this is inhumane. This is just, just horrible. Well, it turns out that the feedback coming back is really positive, and um, there actually may be a change in the way we, we office people. So, well, I can attest. I can attest to that. In my experience. So, ten years ago, with Deutsche Bank, we tried to roll out an open platform uh, standard. Everybody was going to be in a workstation, and you would have thought we were pouring hot boiling oil on them. But now, and I won't say it's universal across the board, but now we are getting. Uh, line managers in, in specific parts of the business uh, with a younger millennial type of workforce, they, they don't want any walls. They don't want any panels. They want wide open space, lots of collaborative areas. This is the way people work these days. I never thought I would see the day, but it, it, is, it is here. Let me look at our questions here. Now, somebody wants to know if the Bears have any chance against the 49ers. Uh, I think we all... We all know the answers to that one. <laughs> How about those Packers? Come on. Yeah, very, very good. Really? Against the Jets? Wow. Sad. Okay. Rough crowd. Right. Exactly. Loyal. Exactly. <laughs> um, I Worst think, you know, those are the gist of our questions for the day, and we've answered the questions. Is there anything I can, we can take from the audience? Anybody uh, <clears throat> rather use a mic than uh, the I.O.? Um, I'd, like I'd like to know, with all the I think it's a great question. There's not a measurement metric as far as productivity that we've developed. Clearly, from a monetary standpoint, yes. Uh, from a collaboration, so, so sort of a subjective, you know, talking to the lines of business, having those debriefs of, you know, how does it work, having the collaborative environments, uh, you know, we get very positive results from that. I think, um, but unfortunately, and you know, maybe these guys have a better answer to this, but you know, we don't have a measurement metric to say, okay, the, you know, the back of house person that's proofing out canceled checks or something was doing 100 an hour and now they're doing 150 an hour. 
And we don't have that, but uh, you know, well, what we do have is, is very limited attrition. You know, when we moved our group from kind of you know, the old fashioned uh, out in various areas uh, into our new operations building in Naperville to a complete, you know, these are 80,000 square foot floor plates that's completely open. Um, you know, we were concerned. You know, the line of business was concerned about attrition. And our attrition, even with the relocation and into new facilities, is less than 1%. So that's the best measurement metric we have. And, and I'll add uh, that uh, in some of the really hot markets where tech companies own all the hot tech areas like Austin and Seattle and certainly uh, Silicon Valley, if you don't have the right kind of space, you're not going to get the employee. You're not going to get them, and if you do get them, you're not going to hang on to them. So you have to provide the environment that uh, the, the, the worker is looking for these days. It's incredibly important. Can, can I ask a question? Um, I know we've talked about this in our programs committee planning meetings, but um, so maybe you mentioned pilot. We're thinking of piloting this as a program, but how, when you're acquiring, selling, buying, uh, procuring, do you always follow the RFP process? As you know, we have a lot of service providers in the room. Do you always follow the RFP process, or is the RFP RIP, or you know, how do you handle your outsourcing? And we're not looking for long, elaborate <laughs> answers, but just off the top of your head, outsourcing is the RFP dead or alive? And what do you what do you see going forward? I would say that depending on the market, and especially overseas, um, the size matters. The smaller, not so much. Bigger ones, definitely. Uh, and, but then again, if the if it's not standard to the market, then then no. So size, I think, has a an impact on it. I agree. I, I'd say size and time, depending what it is and where it is. If you have, um, if you have the time, if it's large enough, it makes sense uh, to be to be, I guess, fair and proper, and uh, for everyone, including you know, the financial responsibility we have to our company. Um, for other areas where it's not the right size, you don't have enough time, you have to rely on relationships, you have to rely on past performance to say this is the right thing to do and not to let red tape get in the way from missing, you know, for, for a hiccup in strategy, right? So it should not be a, um, an obstacle. Amber. Go ahead. Hey, you want to go ahead? No, go ahead. I'm going to have a question here and I'm going to bring it over to Rick. Maybe you guys, if you're fast, I'll get two more over there. And I want to remind everyone to fill out your surveys, please. So let's, we'll take three more questions. This is our first. I just have a real quick question. With all the new open spaces and collaborative, have you had any issues with, especially the bank and Abbey, like confidentiality, noise levels, anything like that? And what have you done to solve those? Sure. So from a bank perspective, um, the, you know, the confidentiality is, you know, very important. So it's really about grouping like groups together, you know, it was definitely a test when we put the HR group in an open environment that they went in, you know, kicking and screaming. Um, and, and, you know, the noise, it's a great question because, you know, we get it all the time, you know, when you have four people in a, you know, six by six cubes around, and it's amazing, no different than, you know, when I'm up here on stage, I'm talking louder than if I was at the table talking to you. People adjust. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, anything else. The first 30, you know, I tell people to move into the, you know, a new, you know, open environment, the first 30 days is terrible. You know, when I came to the bank, uh, you know, my previous job, I had a nice office, the whole nine yards. 
How many people, when they interviewed for a job, said, show me my workspace before I take the job? Nobody did, right? I get to BMO, ready, it's my first day, I get to HR, you know, I get my great tag, and my admin comes and says, you know, here's your workspace, and it's a table. Literally, it's a table. And, and the people who work for me are all around, you know, as close as I am to Rob here, and, you know, across the way was a, uh, um, woman that worked for me and there's this little partition and there was a open piece of the glass. And you know, like I went home that night and I said, Kathy, you'll never believe it. I said, at the table. You put the dining room table, put a little partition, that's my workspace, that's it. And I said, the woman who sits across from me, she has twin boys, they're two years old, I can tell you everything about them. Her husband works at Deloitte. Oh, God, there's no food in the refrigerator at her house, it's incredible. Can't work, right? to now, right, like we're in a different space, but that space at the time, literally, I didn't hear her anymore. And you know, my wife is, you know, she's talking to me and I'm doing something and she's like, you don't, you don't ever listen to me anymore. You know, the, you know, the wife, you know, is telling you that. And it's because I've gotten used to concentrating and you end up blocking out what's there. But you have to tell people when they're going from kind of, you know, the legacy environment into the open environment, give it 30, 60 days. You're really going to hate it. And you're going to know the person sitting next to you as well as, you know, any family member possible. Okay, so uh, lots of trends in corporate real estate over the years. Lead, ADA, everything. Now ergonomics coming back. How important, Steve mentioned earlier, how important is the sit-stand desk, the treadmill desk, uh, is that entering into your discussion at all as you think about new space and furniture decisions? Well, well, definitely for us because we we went all in sit stand. Um, people are you know flagging the the slogan, uh, "Sitting's the new smoking," and so um, <laughs> uh, I I I like the variety, and I think a lot of people are to have that choice to, to try it. I think one of the most notable effects, though, for me, is visual. So when you when you would walk into our old office, it's it's the sea of the same, right? Whether it's 64 inches or at 42, when we, you walk into our office now, everyone is sit standing at different heights at different times, and it just looks like life. And the the double monitors now are are the new privacy screen. And um, I remember when we, we did a pilot program in in, uh, in California with sit-stand, and it just looked like chaos. It looked like a dorm room. And, uh, but now, it's, I, see it as, I see it as a sign of life. And it's, um, we know there's health benefits. We, we haven't measured it yet. We have very um, limited keyboards, because uh, ergonomically, there's, there's arguments that you don't need it. So um, I think there's a lot more to, to learn. We're actually looking into the 120 uh, sit-stands now. Um, as far as space utilization and, and productivity for our software engineers. So um, I think it's a good path. We're, we're down a good path to learn more. Yeah, I'll add you guys. And, sorry, Steve, I'll add at Oracle, every new workstation, every new office we're doing is sit-stand. So it's, it's, it's there. It's definitely part of our standard now. So uh, there was an article on, on Monday from New York Times about Google and the backlash in Europe. Uh, accusing Google of privacy violations, etc. So I'm just curious, does that come to your desk within the real estate department? And if so, how late? 
And then would that change your real estate strategy as an organization for the region in Europe because of all of this backlash that we have there, your company specifically? So I, I didn't read the article, but the question is backlash on, on, on confidentiality. Violation of privacy and all of these accusations. I mean, America's technology is supreme in Europe. However, Uber was banned from Germany. I mean, there are a lot of violations that mm. are playing against us. So because there is a specific violation noted in Europe, um, I was just wondering mm. how would that affect your real estate strategy in the region, if at all? No, it, it, it has not impacted us. Wish I had a bigger answer. But. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pushed a question out there, but Rob didn't field it. But is there any truth to that rumor you guys were to buy the Ferris Bueller house and drop it on top of the Mart to make it your conference center or something? Or is that the other Google? Over that, that, that's the Google project team, which um, I, I hope it's true. I don't know if it is true. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. It's too early to tell. To somebody else. Too early to tell. Well, what do you think, everybody? Was this a fun day? This great panel. Let's, let, let's make them all commit with a show of their hands that someday they'll come back and be on a future panel. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please fill out your surveys, and we'll see you next month. <laughs>